episode of Behind the Mirror. I'm Vanessa Mochi, a co-host of Behind the Mirror and the founder of A Wave of Light, where I guide visionaries, creatives, and highly sensitive people to an eternal now. I am so excited to be sharing that in this episode, we will be having our first interview. And it's with Nat Strafasi. Nat uses they, them pronouns. Nat is a licensed social worker, therapist, clinical supervisor, spiritual herbalist, and tarot reader, living and working in New York and in California on Lenape and Yokotes land. In this episode, Nat and I speak about authenticity in your spiritual practice. We speak about healing in community. There is so much here, not only for people who are actively engaged in spiritual work, but for healing practitioners. I hope you enjoy. Hi, Nad. Welcome to Behind the Mirror. We're so grateful to have you here with us. Hey, Vanessa. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I thought a good entry point to beginning our conversation would be for you to share a little bit about your journey and how you found yourself here at this moment now doing what you're doing and offering to the world. Yes. Okay. Let's see. Where do I begin? (laughs) The year was 1986. Um, (laughs) So my name is Nat Strafachi, they, them, and I am a licensed uh, social worker. So I am a practicing therapist here in the United States. Um, I have a practice based in Brooklyn, but I'm currently in Fresno, California right now um, on the land of the Yakuts and Mono people. I'm also a spiritual herbalist, I read tarot cards, and I am actively on my own healing journey and spiritual path. You know, what got me here is just, you know, my own kind of learning and unlearning process. Um, I've been connected to spirit since I was a young child and that has very much informed the work I've been drawn to um, and like the the many iterations it's taken but it feels like at this period in time of my life um, I get to really step into being authentically who I am which is like a person on a spiritual journey and being out about that as um, a mental health care provider as well. Um, I'll stop there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I loved how you spoke about um, this passageway into authenticity that you're really sinking into And I'd love to hear more about what that means for you as I feel that when we go, let's say when we commit to our spiritual journey or evolution, this remembering process, I, what is popping into my mind right now is how there are these esoteric stores 
<laughs> and you can go into these stores and essentially you can buy something um, often from cultures that aren't your own without really having any awareness of what does it mean for those people and their history. Uh, so I think mm -hmm. authenticity is really important to be discussing when it comes to our own spiritual evolution. And I'd love to hear mm -hmm. how that shows up for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think for me, authenticity starts with getting real about my own healing journey. Um, as somebody who identifies as queer non-binary, but also like a mixed race person who benefits right from light skin privilege, proximity to whiteness. Um, I think all of those pieces have to be taken into account. And part of my own healing journey has been that reconnection, that relearning, right? That discovery of like my own family and my own people's practices, which so many of us are separated from in this process of colonization. So for me, yeah, when I see, you know, the esoteric stores or like the spirituality on Instagram, you know, there's a lot of bypassing. There's a lot of like whitewashing that happens that we have to be really careful about. Um, and I also see like little portals, right? Spaces being created that are asking questions and are opening up spaces for other people to ask those questions as well right because the reality is like we're all on a journey like we all in our healing process need to go back right and think about our family lineages think about our ancestry like where we come from who we come from but it looks different mm. um and i think if you're someone who's disconnected, it can be a lot easier to kind of grasp at like what's in front of you, like the pop cultural idea of like, you know, this is how to heal or come here for all your healing needs. But at the end of the day, you know, that can be like more sexy and exciting <laughs> than actually like sitting down and being like, dang, I have to call my grandma, <laughs> you know, or like, dang, dang, what? what are the like feelings and memories I've been avoiding that are ultimately driving my life right now? <laughs> you mm. know, um, I feel like I went a little off ta tangent, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, that completely resonates with me, especially just that piece um, at the end of like recognizing the healing that you have to do within your family system. Mm -hmm. um, I think of spirituality a lot in the context of homecoming and mm -hmm. that makes me think about, okay, so what was my human home <laughs> in this mm -hmm. incarnation and how did that feel for me? Um, and I've actually been speaking to my mom a little bit more, <laughs> I admit with frustration <laughs> around mm -hmm. my, uh, my heritage and I felt really moved mm -hmm. to do that. And I'm just wondering, like, for the people who don't have 
that resource? Uh, what could be some advice that you could give them to start somewhere? Yeah, I mean, first and foremost, healing happens in community, right? Like we can't heal alone and we also can't put that pressure on ourselves to heal alone. Don't do that to yourself. Um, for some of us, you know, particularly I'm talking to like my queer and trans like siblings and fam, you know, we have a really rich history of having chosen family, you know, so maybe our family and our community isn't people we share bloodlines with, but it's who we choose to be in our lives. It's who we choose to be accountable to, to share resources with, you know, to build different iterations of family structures with. Um, so I would encourage you to start there. Ask yourself who is in your community. If you're not in a place in your life, if it doesn't feel safe right now to reach out to like bio family, um, if that's not an option for you, who are the folks in your life who you can reach out to that see you and that can hold you? And maybe if you don't have those folks yet, that's okay. Hmm. What are the steps to take to build those partnerships, build those relationships? Um, yeah, because we can't do this work alone. Like we can't be on this journey alone. We're not meant to be you know yeah I agree and I love how you spoke to the communal aspect of healing too mm -hmm. particularly because what I see in new age spirituality and like western spirituality is a huge emphasis on the individual and what you can do yeah. and what comes to mind right now is just like manifestation culture and how that yeah. is pretty much like coded productivity. Um, yeah. And you're going into a spiritual space really just to see how efficient it can make you. And uh, mm -hmm. you have this post that I really resonated with on Instagram where you said, all healers are capable of harm. And I would love for you to speak to that more, especially as somebody who does have training um, in mental health care. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for bringing that up because I think in our culture and how obsessed we are with like healing, it has to be something we're doing, we're constantly working on um, ourselves, right? we are the ones that need to heal. It's our problems, you know. As we know, if a problem is showing up in me, it's probably linked to something in my family, which is probably linked to something in my community, which is linked to something in my people, and it just goes on and on, right? Like, we are interconnected here. Um, it's, it's showing up in how I relate to the land I live on, you know. Um, and I think... Also, there's this idea that to be a healer, um, and particularly also in the States, to be a therapist, you're like this all-knowing being, or I think it's shifting now, like, you know, mm -hmm. that getting mental health care is a bit more destigmatized, but there's this kind of like silly stereotype that it's like you go to your therapist to give you the answers, mm -hmm. which is like so problematic. and. Um, very, very dangerous. Um, 
healers and therapists are people too, you know, healers and therapists will and do make mistakes. Um, I think part of how, you know, this individualized form of healing in this culture we live in views um, therapists, it's like from a very um, hierarchical lens, right? Which makes sense, you know, living in like this white cis hetero-capitalist patriarchy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where somebody else can heal you, you know, where somebody else can give you the tools just to fix you. Mm. Um, but I don't want that responsibility. I'm not walking into a relationship with somebody I'm working with. I don't want anybody thinking that I'm not a human. I don't know anybody who wants to be held to that standard of perfection, right? Not only is it damaging and challenge and um, oppressive, it's also like, where is the humanity um, for the therapist in the room? Where is the humanity for the healer? You know, I think healing can be really scary. And an idea that we cling to is like, I'm just going to get my answers from this person. Um, but the reality is like, you're your own healer. You're the one choosing to be on this journey. You know, folks can be here to ask the right questions, to hold space. Medications can be helpful. Survival tools and strategies are helpful. All these different tools you have access to. But at the end of the day, you're the one who's healing yourself. Um, it's not anybody else. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's so true. And I, I think back to how it's so important to keep that sense of accountability in mind while not mm -hmm. um, creating this expectation on yourself to just carry it all. And that goes back to the community yeah. piece um, that yeah. you mentioned. Yeah. Something I'm thinking about too, um, just like with the acknowledgement, like therapists, um, healers, people in helping professions, we're going to cause harm. What are some of the mm -hmm. things that people in those fields can do to reduce harm? Mm -hmm. So like strategies of yeah. harm reduction, even clients, like um, mm -hmm. with perhaps like managing their expectations for mm -hmm. what can occur in one session. Yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely for us as practitioners, we need to be doing our own work. Mm. We need to be on our own healing journeys. And we need to be in the process of excavating all of our own stuff that our clients are coming to us for support with. Why would I be in space and share space with someone and ask someone to be vulnerable in a way that I have never chosen to be myself. Um, additionally, I'm thinking of, you know, anti-oppressive practices, right? And also the conversation around like decolonizing our practices, decolonizing mental health care. These are journeys. These are not destinations. And so what does it look like to always being a learner, always in conversation with your identities, your experiences, how they shape you, and how they intersect with the identities and the lived experiences of the client or the person in the room that you're working with. The expectation is not 
to be the expert in someone else's life. The expectation is for you to be the expert in your own lived experience. So you have that self-awareness. You know when to be quiet. You know when to speak up. You know when to ask questions. I'm thinking back to earlier in my career and also social work school. Maybe it's maybe it's changing now. <laughs> this was a while ago, you know. <clears throat> conversations around anti-racism or being more quote-unquote inclusive were usually spoken of in a way where it was like you take this class you do this seminar and then you're good you know um but quite the opposite is true I think that's a beautiful entry point yeah but um the work starts there (laughs) it doesn't end there um and also the work has to continually go inward it's not like outward you do this thing at your job it's like okay you do this thing at your job and you're given more tools and lenses how are you going to apply that and look within right Mm -hmm. i'd say it starts with us and our own healing journeys Mm -hmm. yeah and when you were sharing i was thinking about like so I've completed my first year because um, I'm studying psychology and counseling and something that I, thank you. Yeah. And something that I did during that first year was uh, my school offered a program where you could take counseling with uh, students, um, the master level students. And I decided to do that. <laughs> I was like, I should do that. I, I need to understand <laughs> what it's like mm-hmm. on the other side. Um, and it was so incredibly beneficial and moving for me to just realize the level of vulnerability people are experiencing when they're walking into a space with somebody that they don't know that they're about to do some really intimate work with um Mm -hmm. and I feel like that experience was so nourishing for me because like personally in my own encounters with other um healing professionals I've encountered the majority unfortunately quite a bit of harm just also like being Mm -hmm. queer being um Mm non-binary a lack of like inclusivity and awareness um towards really catering for an identity outside of one's own and it felt good to be in another space and kind of realize all of these subtle ways in which I could create safety I remember something that was like really small that happened was in one of the sessions I was speaking about like a friendship conflict that I had and the counselor yawned and oh my word (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I was just like ow <laughs> I just think about like all of the little things that we can do let's say like for example if you haven't rested well the night before mm-hmm. if you you are extending yourself beyond your capacity and now that's impacting the kind of care that you're giving absolutely I love that example you gave right Because it's like, oh, my God, like that is so a thing that happens, you know, and you're also seeing someone who's 
a student, so they're probably earning their hours, they're overworked, they're not getting paid for that. And also, <laughs> you deserve to be in a space with a therapist that's fully alert and fully attuned to what's happening with you right now. Mm-hmm. That's like one thing that I've learned, like going into private practice, you know, um, cause I was with nonprofits for about like 15 years or so. And I'm sure it's the same where you are, but just the expectation is you have to take on like dozens of clients. You need to make yourself as available as, a po- as possible to as many people as possible. Um, and burnout is not an exception. It's just going to happen. Mm. Um, and I really reject that, you know, that I think that is rooted in such a problematic lens um, that, again, like dehumanizes the the healthcare worker um, and really places, you know, the responsibility on like folks who are being underpaid and overworked to like withhold the mental health care system. You know, and that's not your responsibility as a psychology student. And it's not mine either. Um, And our clients deserve better. Our clients deserve therapists who are showing up well-rested and well-fed and well-paid. Yeah, exactly. And when you were sharing, I couldn't help but like think of the archetype of just the giver, because I would say that that Mm -hmm. resonates as much for healers as it does for therapists. And I think about like how our culture of like hyper productivity in the West rewards us for over giving mm-hmm. and overextending ourselves. And I can see just like, for example, for me, like when I first began offering um, services like publicly, how I really needed to work on my boundaries um, yes. and recognize that I myself was somebody who very easily could just people please and um, put myself last and just not prioritize like my own emotional and mental well-being and I think that's a big part of what practitioners need to look at too when they're going into this work professionally Um, Mm -hmm. and like how does it feel Mm -hmm. to set boundaries it was really hard for me for a long time to say no to people just like even my friends um mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. I, I knew I couldn't do the thing but I would try so hard and then you fail <laughs> in the process of yeah. doing it because you were under resourced too anyway yeah absolutely absolutely right I think like the urge to overwork and to please comes from a place of survival right it's like we want to pay our bills we want to help as many people as possible right but when we're functioning from that urgent place, our nervous systems are not regulated, you know? And so we are coming at, you know, a process or we're entering into a relationship where healing is a part of the journey. We're entering into it from a depleted place when we're not clear, when we don't have clarity around our protections and our boundaries, right? Um, Yeah, I think, Like when we talk about boundaries, um, I hope, you know, all these things, all these like amazing things you're bringing up 
I just hope that the conversation keeps getting more complex, these topics, and with boundaries included, you know, because when I hear and see boundaries talk, Mm -hmm. it's often like shutting folks out, like closing off things. But how I see boundaries is really like, this is how we are able to be in community together. You know, this is how I think Adrian Marie Brown talks about this, like, boundaries are how um, we get to show up and love each other. You know, I don't know if I'm saying it correctly, but boundaries create space for possibility Mm -hmm. and create sustainability in that possibility, Mm -hmm. you know, and we're not taught how to have them because who benefits from us having boundaries in capitalism? (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think it is a learning process. Like, I think if you are somebody who really struggled with boundaries for a long time um Mm -hmm. in the beginning it may look like that cutting off process which isn't ideal but perhaps it's just because things have gotten to out of hand (laughs) so you're like okay um I'm I'm totally worn now so I've got to take that Mm -hmm. step back and I also think there can be things that we begin to do so uh, the word that comes to mind is like preventative like strategy so that that um, outcome doesn't necessarily manifest. Definitely. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something also that I'm just like interested in speaking to you about is how, so when we're going into a spiritual space and we're spiritually gifted, right? So Mm -hmm. clear sentience, like this felt sense of feeling, um clairvoyance being able to see uh, clear audience being able to hear these are traits these are gifts that are praised in the spiritual community and often yes. this may be the only space that they are praised and like acknowledged and i think that sets mm-hmm. um practitioners up for some really deep work around a power <laughs> dynamic Because something that comes up for me that I notice is that people often draw a hard boundary with like religious conditioning and then they don't Mm -hmm. see how that like feeds into like new age spirituality and like the conditioning that takes place in that too. And I'm like, it's the same thing. It's (laughs) It's just not like they're just not saying Christianity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. I'm just thinking about like, if you were somebody who grew up and you were really sensitive and in tune and you could see all of these wonderful things or you could hear them and then you were put down for that or you were Mm -hmm. ostracized for that or made fun of and like poked at and now you find yourself like doing this work and you're praised I feel like it's really easy for you to kind of inflate your ego and get that validation from your client in a big way Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. are some of the things that like what are reflection processes or like practices that like Mm -hmm. practitioners can do uh for those of us who didn't have uh let's Mm -hmm. say a spiritually supportive household what's coming to mind right now is really grounding so first of all right getting in touch with your gifts is such a powerful journey to be on, right, of reclamation. And grounding that in 
the knowledge that everyone has these abilities, right? Everybody has these gifts, but they exist on a spectrum, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, Looking at the these like portals that you have access to and taking it with um the idea that you're responsible now having this lens means you're accountable to it right having this lens means that to practice it you're still having to practice it consensually you know I might be sitting with someone in a therapy session and I get a flash of something. I see something or I hear something. Mm. But if that's not part of our contract, that's not part of our agreement, which is, oh, if I get a message or if I, you know, am shown something during our time together, I'm going to bring it up. If that's not explicitly agreed upon, I'm not sharing that with that person, right? Because I don't have their permission. That's not a consensual thing. That's why, you know, when you're like walking down the the street, this happens a lot in New York. Like people will come up to you and be like, oh my God, you know, I'm a psychic medium. I have a message for you. Like, like folks will come up and be like, I have something to share with you. I have da, da, da. You know, and sometimes people are like, is it actually a message? Are you trying to scam me? Sometimes I believe the folks like they're actually getting a message, but it's like, unless that person asked you for that, don't bother them. Don't bother them. You know, um, and so like, as you're getting in touch with these gifts, like get, you got to get a teacher, <laughs> you know, get a mentor, ground it in community. Um, because this is something that is meant, right? It's like, we got to open the portal wider. <laughs> like, yes. this is meant, it's, it's my, it's my belief. It's like, These are gifts that were given to us from our ancestors to continue to heal so we can live a better life and have more access to things that maybe they didn't have access to on like the earthly realm, right? This isn't about, I get to wield power over another person, or I get to use this to, to dominate. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, like hearing you ask that question is just, being like, what are your practices or your gifts? Like, how are you sharpening them? But also, how are you grounding them in community? You know, and who are you accountable to if you're bringing it into your paid work with others? Mm, That's so well said. (laughs) I love that so much because um, I'm somebody who I have studied, I have done training for everything that I provide. And I'm incredibly grateful that I have because I feel that if I didn't have that oversight and that knowledge from somebody who is more experienced than me, I probably would have hurt more than helped um, Mm -hmm. a lot more in my process of doing the work. And I just think too, that it's important to acknowledge that sometimes we are behaving like this unconsciously. You may not consciously Mm -hmm. be going into a space and like realizing that like your clients are becoming like friends or like your main source of validation and affirmation and so on. That could be completely like Mm -hmm. unconscious. 
And going back to the community piece, when we have the people that can hold us accountable, you're like, oh, okay, I actually have somebody that I can speak to about what I'm experiencing Mm -hmm. in my sessions. And you can even have peer support in that way. And then it's like, oh, I didn't, it just helps to have another perspective of a person who is also spiritual um they can share some of their wisdom and their insight with you and then things get a lot clearer sometimes I feel like we struggle so hard because we're like trying to figure it all out by ourselves (laughs) yeah and it can be very isolating in this work right you're studying in the mental health care field like as someone with these like ability like it can be very um it can feel lonely out there yeah you know but like we have to be in community with each other you know and it's my hope that you know to create more spaces we have more conversations like this but really it's like you got to check your intentions and you got to have those conversations with folks so like they can hold you to them Mm. Um, because and the same thing happens when you show up as a therapist in the space it's like are you offering this perspective are you about to share this thing for you or for the client right because right. like are you really uncomfortable with what the client is bringing up right now and so you want to add your two cents or is this actually for you know to widen the lens to offer additional perspective to what the client is like sharing with you in that moment you know i, I don't see that as completely like separate Mm, yeah mm-hmm. that that really resonates with me and again if you have some sort of introspective practice with support you would be able to catch on to that quicker with you know mm-hmm. um without having gone through it and then like maybe in reflection you're like oh my goodness <laughs> yeah Obviously. we call that like yeah it's like what is it counter transference you know yeah that's right like, yeah What's the spiritual version of countertransference? Maybe it's the same word, but, yeah. you know, like, it's the same thing. Yeah, I feel like it's the same thing. Um, my Akashic Record teacher had a background in psychology. Um, I believe mm-hmm. she was a criminologist. So in the training, she taught us about transference and countertransference. And I was like, ooh, mm. this is really good because it just goes back to like, you can be having a session with someone and you have to discern, is this information for me? <laughs> yes. Or is it yes. them? Like what's happening here? And that just um, like having that practice, being able to differentiate and even just like ask your guides, whoever you're channeling from, mm-hmm. is this for me or is this for them? Because sometimes um, what I've found is, and I've heard as well, guides can deliver messages and sessions with other people and perhaps it's because mm-hmm. we're more open to receive in those spaces for mm-hmm. whatever reason right maybe that person is activating something within us that makes mm-hmm. this message land in the way that it needs to but just even being mm-hmm. able to ask them like is this for me or is this for them yes. it's just like it's awesome Yeah. And it's like, we are, we're still human beings. Like we, it's like, we might be getting messages, but they're still filtered through our human being bullshit (laughs) that we have to be actively, um, you know, we have to be actively 
like clearing our lens, you know, because we might get this really important insight, but unless we're aware of our own stuff, we don't know how we're affecting that. We don't know, you know, that we're like uh, sharing our own spin on something or filtering it out in a way that um, can potentially be harmful. You know, I've had readings where uh, folks will have some really awesome insight into what's happening with me or an experience I've had. Um, And in the session, they use incredibly gendered language or Mm -hmm. they've made assumptions about my racial identity. So their own lenses and their own filter of who they think I am and, you know, who they think is walking into the room and showing, you know. Um, and I don't, I don't judge them for that, but I see that as like, right, you're still on that journey. I hope you're on that journey and that's like where your growing edge is, right? right. Um, but you don't know, you don't know till you know. Mm, yeah and if you're not and if you're not like actively learning and in community like it's hard to (laughs) see outside yourself when you're in this work absolutely and you sharing that makes me think about how critical transparency is so Mm -hmm. I'm seeing a lot of emphasis on like transparency right now on Instagram in particular for the coaching industry Mm, um, which is really cool (laughs) to see and I think it can definitely apply um, to um, spiritual practitioners as well but Mm -hmm. I feel like if I know so I made the mistake (laughs) in the past Mm -hmm. of like going into sessions with people that had they did not on their website, for example, give any indication that they would be able to provide an in- inclusive space. Mm, right? So there's mm-hmm. no way for me to gauge that this person has a value of inclusivity in their practice. Mm-hmm. There's no way for me to know. But I've decided to have like a session with this person for my own reasons and then I'm in Mm -hmm. the session and I'm like oh my goodness all of a sudden like I don't feel safe Um, Mm -hmm. I've been misgendered or the way the language because the way some people channel can feel very um, I want to use the word preachy not like in a bad way but just in the way that we're used to like we're conditioned to receive messages in that way like I'm going to come into a session I'm going to sit here I'm going to be a passive participant you're going to tell me everything about my life and I'm just going to be like cool and I can't like Mm -hmm. so that doesn't Mm -hmm. really work with me and that's what I mean when I say preachy um and then I'm kind of in it and I'm like oh no (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what to do in this space Mm -hmm. Um, and something Mm -hmm. that previously could have been like very healing is just it's taken like a downslide towards something where I'm going to like feel injured from the experience afterwards and need to do like co-regulating with like somebody else and just hold myself all of the things that have been poked at 
Yeah. I'm sorry you had that experience. Um, yeah, that has happened. You know, hearing you share that it's like that happens in healing spaces, right? With different healers. And I'm also thinking of times it's happened with mental health care providers, like an old therapist I had really mm. just showed herself, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. And yes, like the relationship was harmed. And ultimately I decided to like end things very swiftly. Um, and, you know, I took care of myself and did what I needed to do, but I shared my feedback with her. I said, you have fucked up in the following ways. Um, and I was very upset. And also I felt for me personally, as a therapist in therapy, I had to be clear with her. So she would not do that again. Um, because that's not cool. <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not cool. And unless, you know, and I'm not saying it is the person being harmed responsibility, but I felt like for me, I had to share with her, like, yo, like you are out here in this field marketing yourself as someone who's inclusive. You know, we did some great work together around certain things. And then as soon as another area popped up, it was like, who are you? You know, Hmm. Um, I felt like for part of my, I guess what I'm trying to say is I felt like for part of my healing from that experience was to be up front and be like, don't do that again. Um, This is why you can't do that. This is why the relationship is ending. And I really hope that like you go on a journey of like, I'm learning some stuff that you brought to our sessions. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm so glad that you were able to feel safe enough to provide that feedback too. Yeah. Yeah. And that was totally like a privilege I had as someone who like was paying for therapy and could show up and felt, you know, safe and empowered to like say those things. Right. But, um, yeah, people need to know. Mm, they do. Yeah. 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 That just resonates. So I'm just like feeling that in my heart and it feels so important mm-hmm. for people um, to feel like they can also give feedback, right? So like I practice mm-hmm. like active consent in my sessions and pretty much before every single session, I tell people because I know just like how hard it is to say no as a recovering like people pleaser that like mm-hmm. I'll be delivering like information, you know, from your Akashic record keepers mm-hmm. and I want you to feel safe enough to say no, that your no yeah. is just as sacred as your yes. And even mm. if you say no, that doesn't mean that the information is not going to find you. Perhaps it means that Mm. the information will find you in a way that's even better for you. And I feel like Mm -hmm. that's so important because when we come into these spaces and on some level we have like externalized our authority because we're looking for guidance, uh, it can be really easy for us to just 
take it all outside of us and say, especially in what I'm doing, like with the Kashuk record work um, and mm-hmm. channeling in that way, people, I found, I've noticed that people are very, very open and they put a lot on me to deliver like this divine guidance and I always come right back to them and I'm like the information that you're receiving is just based off what you're ready willing and able to hear there's no frequency olympics happening here of like you're not on a high enough frequency like that's (laughs) ridiculous this is just about capacity it's about what serves you your guides don't have a um an agenda I don't please say no because <laughs> yeah, I'm just I love like, that. I it's love that. So important yeah. to just know that, like, yes. oh, I can say no because sometimes you can have that experience. Like, let's say somebody says, "Oh, does this resonate with you?" and they're like, uh, "Do I have to say that it does?" Because like these beings yeah. know me better than I know myself, and like all of this kind yeah. of wild stuff that happens when we advocate our own um, self-awareness of like what is good for us. Yes, I love that. I love that because it is a co-created process. You, it's a consensual process you're engaging in with the folks you work with, with your clients, right? Um, You're reminding people of their own power and their own autonomy. and yeah, like no is such powerful information, right? Like, cause I've done, um, you know, I'm thinking of like some mediumship work I've done for folks mm. where it's like, is this making sense? Or cause like sometimes it's like, I think there's this idea that like mediums or psychics or however the information is coming through, it's like so clear and we just, it's just right there later and that's like totally not my experience of receiving messages there can be some fuzzy edges there can be multiple images at once right and so really actively being up front and saying I need you to say no or yes like that is going to guide our process along um so important right yeah and so Mm. that like you can feel empowered from the process and not like I have got to go to this person to know what I've been like mm-hmm. that. It just feels so disempowering for me. It really doesn't resonate. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that I wanted to speak to you about is just self pathologization um, and mm-hmm. how that happens to us as people who are spiritually in tuned and who are choosing that. I like you believe that every single person is innately receptive and that it's on a spectrum and it shows up differently for us. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yes, you can have raw talent, but I do think that having that guidance and um, somebody to help train you can be incredibly beneficial, mm-hmm. even if it's not for your spiritual gift, just basic stuff like counseling, which you will be doing if you're giving readings. Yes. <laughs> yes. You will be doing yes. that. Um, And I'm just thinking about like self pathologization and like how it feels to me uh, today that like with all of the information that is coming out, um, like psychological terms, which I think is so cool that people Mm -hmm. have access to this information, that it's also 
um, like people can move to into that with kind of uh, um, use it. I want to say weaponize it, weaponize it in a way that is not Mm -hmm. beneficial for healing for ourselves or for other people. And like, Mm -hmm. how can we um, be mindful of like psychology Mm -hmm. and pop psychology because it's all watered down, Mm -hmm. but we're using it Mm -hmm. in the spiritual space, like things like shadow work and Mm -hmm. so on. Um, How can we Mm -hmm. engage in that mindfully without Mm -hmm. weaponizing it against ourselves or other people? Yeah. Well, great question. Yeah, it's it's really making me think a lot about <clears throat> other terms. So like, you know, in the mental health space and therapy space, I'm hearing like decolonize and I'm anti-racist or like we are an anti-oppressive journey, which um, is all really important language, right? Important identifiers. If I'm looking for a provider, I want a queer provider, I want a trans provider, right? Like these are really great markers. And at the end of the day, like what do they actually mean, right? Similarly to like these terms we're using that are associated with like mental health diagnoses, right? Like I'm, oh, I'm just so OCD or I'm engaging in shadow right? right? It's like, it's like we have to be able to hold space for a more nuanced understanding I think like in the culture I'm in here you know the in the states it's like okay we get the label and then it ends there I have the diagnosis and then it's done but how is that contributing to any part of our healing if like we if it stops at a word if it stops at a term you know Similarly, when you're calling yourself anti-oppressive, that's great. But what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? Mm -hmm. Right? Like, okay, you're a healer who engages in shadow work. Cool. How do you define shadow, first of all? And like, what is the work? Also, have you done your own shadow work? You know? Right. Like, what is the journey? Like, what is like the spiritual awakening or the spiritual path that you've been on that's led you to engage in shadow work or to Mm -hmm. call yourself a trauma-informed healer? You know, I see, and again, it's like the Instagram world and the internet world, but (laughs) I see a a lot of folks who market themselves as like trauma-informed coaches, but they have no racial analysis. You know, I do trauma healing, but they haven't necessarily, you know, completed a certification or, you know, they're not licensed in a mental health care profession. Not that I'm saying you have to have a degree to offer healing. I'm not saying that at all. And I'm seeing a lot of folks misrepresent themselves, Mm -hmm. right? So we have to be able to hold space and ask for more beyond the labels and we have to do it in an ethical way. There still needs to be a standard of care. Mm, that is so well said. What could you uh, share as like some green flags that somebody can like mm-hmm. notice? So let's say they're choosing, because I know that you offer tarot, 
you offer like mm-hmm. herbalism as well and of course your professional practice of therapy so let's say somebody's mm-hmm. like into getting a reading with someone what would you say are some green flags that this person is like keeping um ethics in mind mm-hmm well, I think first it's getting clear about your own needs, desires, and intentions, right? Like, what are you going to this reading for? What are you looking to hear from someone else that you can't or don't want to hear from yourself, right? Mm. Like, what are, uh, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, what are the indicators for you that help you know your identities are going to be fully seen and held in the session, right? So, okay, for example, right, I'll use myself. It's like, oh, I'm queer, you know? So Mm -hmm. a lot of, if like I'm going to see someone, I would prefer someone to be queer. Do they call themselves queer? If they're not, how do they talk about gender and identity on their website? Or, you know, we have a consultation, you know, feel empowered to ask, you know, your therapist or your psychic or your whoever, like, what is their lens on healing work? Like, have they been on their own journey? You know, what is their understanding of like racism and oppression in the country where you're living, right? Like, don't be afraid to ask those things of people you go to um, for healing, mm-hmm. you know? And I would say a green flag, regardless of, you know, whether it's like, you know, healing services, therapy, is this practitioner, is this provider ultimately pointing you back to yourself? Whatever services, you know, they're offering, whatever, whatever space y'all are co-creating together, ultimately is the healing being pointed back to you as in you are empowered to ask those questions. You are empowered to deepen your relationship with yourself, your own inner knowing, your intuition. Hmm. If that is at the core of what this person is offering, that to me is a green flag Mm -hmm. because it's a huge red flag when someone represents themselves in a way where it's like, I'm going to tell you what to do and how to fix your life. And I'm going to give you the answer that you don't know. Because I see something that you don't see, right? Mm -hmm. That's a big red flag for me, right? As practitioners, as providers, we may have wider lenses because we work with a lot of folks. And as humans, we're special, unique, complicated snowflakes. And also, (laughs) we're not that complicated sometimes. We have really similar experiences when it comes to love and grief and heartbreak and relationships and repair, right? Like we have a wider lens because we work with a lot of people, right? We see a lot of people on similar journeys. So we offer that lens from a place of experience. We don't offer that lens from a place of, I know the right way and I'm going to tell you how to do it because, you know, hello, there is no one right way, you know? Mm. So that that I would say is like the biggest flag to look out for. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. I appreciate that advice um, so much. And I feel like it's really helpful to just 
have it in mind when you're going forward and you're deciding, okay, I'm willing to seek help. Um, And I feel like there's so many mixed feelings that can come up for us when we are looking for additional help of like, got to do it all by myself or like I failed in some way because I'm looking for extra help. And I think that's important to also look into. Somebody um, Mm -hmm. who I watch a lot of videos from Irene Lyon, she's a nervous system specialist and something that she recommends to people is to research their resources um, Mm -hmm. before like going deep into like anything. And that resonates with me so much because anything can happen after a session. And something that comes up for me too is like, what are the ways that you can receive support after that session, right? After that initial session, perhaps, is there any support that you can have from that person? Like, do they do a follow up with you? Mm -hmm. Um, Do you go to somebody else? Because this, I I feel like this idea of like one pill in it, like just one pill solves it all. One session solves it all is just an illusion. Um, And we probably will need additional support and it can help us to know, okay, here are the things that help me. Here are the ways that I self-soothe, that I Mm -hmm. self-regulate. Here are the ways that I can ask for additional support. Things like that, I think, can be helpful. Absolutely. Right. Like, again, healing doesn't happen alone what are your resources who are the people places and things that you get to tap into you know therapy is a slice of the pie it's not the whole pie you know and I think like being well resourced and what you're saying is like tapping into those extra supports is so critical if you're intending to dive deeper into some trauma or dive deeper into healing work mm-hmm. yeah I agree. So Nat, do you have any additional um, things that you would like to share with folks? Is there anything on your heart right now that you feel moved to speak about? I just feel so grateful to be able to have these conversations with folks like you. Um, I feel so excited for just the possibility you know, um, and the healing and like the spaces that are going to continue to grow and get bigger and like more spaces are going to develop as we continue to have these conversations around like healing and mental health um, and how they're so interconnected. Um, I just see really exciting stuff in 2023 and I see there's such a huge shift for us in terms of who we want as healers, as therapists, um, and who and how we also need to show up as healers and as therapists. Mm. So I feel really excited and really grateful to you for the space, Vanessa. Mm. Yeah, thank you. And I, I completely agree with you. I'm seeing a big shift in mm-hmm. just education on what people can like look out for. And I'm loving that transparency. It can help us, aid us in having choices, making choices that are really beneficial for ourselves and for others. 
Nat, can you um, tell us like how can people find you after this if they wanted to have a session with you? What would that process look like? Yeah, so you can reach me a couple different ways. So <clears throat> my website is sunshadowhealing.com. Um, so, you know, you can see the services I offer and read a bit about me and my approach there, sunshadowhealing.com. And then I'm also on Instagram at sunshadowhealing. So you can get in touch with me there as well. Okay, awesome. Thank you so much, Nat. Thank you, Vanessa. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. I really loved having this conversation with Nat. I feel that they offered so much that can be used perhaps as a resource within your personal spiritual practice or your work with others. For reflection practice for this week, I invite you to contemplate community. It can mean so many things. And perhaps you could do this through a walking meditation, a stream of consciousness exercise, an intuitive movement session, letting it be whatever it needs to be. Noticing the needs wants and desires that you may have around community and allowing yourself to feel them without feeling the need to immediately act on them but just to be with what's there what's there right now for you what role are you holding right now in community hopefully this contemplation can surprise you We are often more connected than we think we are.